Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings, America's number one sportsbook app with John Schuster, Ben White. I am merely Mike Luke. All right. Lots to get to today. But first, first, first thing I want to say is UCLA is a really, really good basketball team. And this was a great win for the University of Arizona, John Schuster. Uh, we now, uh, Arizona's two most significant games played at McHale Center against Tennessee and against UCLA. Arizona came out victorious playing the other team's style. The Wildcats scored 58 points today. The Wildcats scored 58 points today and won the game. And other than a complete meltdown in the last minute, which is indicative of UCLA's toughness and probably a concern for Arizona as things move forward, Arizona controlled, what, 18 and a half minutes of the second half. Right. Um, and, and, and and so for all of the frustrations that Arizona has had over the course of the last three weeks, understandably, for all of the concerns about Arizona going up against athletic teams, especially on the wings, that can be a problem. Arizona has shown as well that it can win in a variety of styles. The Cats can win their own way. They can win in a half-court game against Tennessee when Tennessee is able to make it a half-court game and limit transition opportunities. And they can win UCLA style as well. And uh, that being in that kind of position and showing that there's an ability to do those sorts of things makes Arizona a difficult foe uh, come NCAA tournament time. I think a lot of UCLA fans are understandably going to say, man, we had a horrible shooting night. And it's it's clearly true. Mm -hmm. But Arizona's defense was very impressive, probably as good as it's been all year. And uh, it was enough to make things difficult on UCLA, which struggles on the offensive end at times. Uh, and Arizona was able to get a a legitimate, grinding, hard-fought W that I think will have more physical contact than the two NFL playoff games that take place later today. You know, we're going to get to that in a second here, Ben, but one thing that i got to give uh, Tommy Lloyd a ton of credit for, and the comments coming in hot and heavy, appreciate all you. We're going to get to all of these uh, very quickly. But, man, he made a real adjustment there in that second half. That first half, Julius Tabellis looked a little bit like the Julius Tabellis of last March, where missing layups looked a little uncomfortable and didn't really know what he was doing. And then Tommy Lloyd essentially put the ball in his hands through the pick and roll. And UCLA didn't have an answer for that, especially when Julius, uh, when Tabellis would roll to the basket. It was a, it was a, it was a simple move. 
but it was a move that I think paid real dividends. Yeah, I think when you look at all of Arizona's big wins so far, and, and this is no different in the sense that there's always that one key adjustment, I feel like, in the second half that propels them over to the finish line. And Tubelas certainly was the example of that today. You know, I thought he was really effective in the pick and roll as a screener, and you just got a little bit more creative with him. And I think one important thing that we have to take away from just the way that Arizona played in that second half and the way that they were able to turn things around is you were able to see consistent play and and good play out of the guards. This wasn't going to be a game where Tuelas and Balo were going to be just enough, I think, to win you the game. I think, obviously, from a physicality standpoint, you pack the paint. You know, UCLA had no answer from the outside. They were not able to make anything happen from a shooting perspective. But at the same time, that physicality wears on you. So who was that one guy to step up? Who has been that one guy maybe lacking in the guard spot that we've talked about for a couple of weeks? And um, that's somebody tonight, in my mind, was Courtney Ramey. Uh, 11 points, three for mm-hmm. five from three, especially. And they were timely threes, and They too. were timely threes as well, very, very efficient offensively. So um, Arizona really put it all together and certainly one of their most complete games of the season. And now you look at their resume, too. Um I think from a seating perspective, this makes all the difference in the world. It, it certainly propels them from the rest of the season. But now you've got wins over number five, UCLA, number six, Tennessee, number 14, Indiana, number 10, Creighton, and number 17, San Diego State. It's a pretty damn impressive resume. That's, so that's very impressive. We'll talk more about that as well. Uh, thoughts on the refs today? We'll, we'll get to that. I thought it was an, in, thought it was an interesting ref, uh, a refereed game for sure. Um, but this was also a game, too, where you got to look at it. And the first half – Arizona, and maybe this is where they're maybe a little bit better. We're Sean, we're going to get to your question for shoe here in just a second, but Arizona just didn't really look the part and Arizona at the end went into the halftime, went into halftime up. And we've talked about this a great deal of times during uh, all of our post-game shows. And uh, Sean got a question here for Shu. Do we only step up if we play teams in the top 10? And we've talked about that though, guys, it does feel like this team essentially plays to its level of competition. And when you're playing top 10 teams, that's a good thing. I believe when it is a good thing in that regard. I believe when we go back, there's a, there's two prongs to that question. As uh, we study this a little bit more retrospectively. Uh, one of them is the very real possibility that uh, Arizona has motivation issues. Uh, and part of that motivation issue is a relative lack of understanding still that other teams view Arizona in a higher regard than I think a lot of players on this roster recognize. Hmm. Arizona, Interesting. The, the, I think that's players, a good point. The players understand um, that Arizona's a good school to go to, but I don't know if they recognize the lineage behind that where you know, you're looking at – a a lot of teams that come into here that are one in their last 13 at McHale that are, you you know, and this stacks up pretty consistently. You can, you can find a whole heck of a lot of examples in this conference that line up that way. Arizona beats most teams in this league and they've been a top tier team in this conference for most of the last 30 years. Right. As a result of that, uh, teams recognize that Arizona is a big game on the schedule, just as teams recognized in the 70s that UCLA was a big game on their schedule. And do you so think that's some of the international? Do you think that's some of the international factor, though, Shane? Probably, yeah. Uh, that and 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 part of that probably plays in a couple ways. Uh, I think there may be a you know there there there's certainly a 
lack of regional understanding that probably goes into recognizing how important everybody else views Arizona uh, and, and what it is like to play in the favorite role. And from, from a secondary standpoint, I think you're also dealing, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with, as uh, you noted, uh, that international aspect where you just don't know it very well. You might also be, be dealing with a little, I don't want to say it's laissez-faire. I don't want to say that you're anti-competitive. They don't care. Clearly, all of those things aren't right. But there's, a, there, there's sometimes a different level uh, that maybe Arizona struggles to work its way through. That's one issue. And, yeah, and the, let's deal with the second issue now. I think from a retrospective standpoint, Ballow not being 100% uh, is going to look like, we're going to go back and look at, wow, Arizona had that problem in the season when Ballow wasn't as healthy as we recognize. Right. And when he gets to that point, it provides such a difficult template for a lot of other teams at the college basketball level when he's 90% or better, that it just makes things so much more difficult. And today it made things difficult on the defensive end. Ballo had good numbers too. He got Bona into foul trouble. Even when, and, and this is a tough thing. We've, we've talked about this a little bit too. We've, Arizona relies on Tabellus being the best player on the floor. Today right. in the first half, especially, Tabellus had a bad first half. You know, struggled, rushed. Frankly, Tabellus's first half offensively was like everybody else's first half, too. Let's not pretend anybody had a good offensive performance today. Right. Uh, but, you know, th- this was that game where Tabellus couldn't quite get those shots to go, rushed a little bit, was banged around a lot, and was just a little bit off his game. But Ballo was there to help and to compliment. And it kept Arizona close and played a role in giving Arizona advantage. When you have two guys on the inside with that skill set, it is a distinct difference. And I think in the last three weeks, Arizona's had one and a half. And that is maybe a major difference between Arizona being able to level off some of those matchups that they played poorly and uh, just getting blown out of the gym in one of them, at least in the Oregon matchup. There were two. I wanted to go there. And that's why John Schuster, I consider him my mentor, because you know what? He went in a direction that I was going to go in next. But two things. First of all, four peaks. If you've been watching the game uh, if you've been watching the game, it's been basically cut down to two peaks right now for the U of A. But that doesn't mean that four peaks isn't still the official brew of PHNX Sports in Tempe. Or you can go to the Tap and Bottle location. Check it out. Four peaks. Enjoy responsibly. Check out the show notes and the link in the description. And then more furniture. Here's the deal. MORfurniture.com. Everybody the PHNX hires except for me is very tall. Shane Diefenbach behind the scene right now is about six foot six. Jacob Franklin is only six foot eight. I am not that big. But you know what? More Furniture has the same kind of furniture for both of us right there. Check out the show notes in the link in the description. Uh, check it out right there. Good stuff. Okay. Now let's talk about Umar Ballo. A couple things. Um First of all, you could tell in, uh, in the second half, um, Jay Billis made this point a bunch of times. And I think the first thing that uh, Arizona did not guard UCLA's five-man at all. Basically dropped Ballo into the middle, and that really clogged things up for UCLA right there. Thought that was a very good move. Second of all, with Ballo, sometimes you get guys that are just really, really country strong, 
and they kind of wear on you as the game goes on. That's what Ballo, I think, does. Watching him in the first half against Bona, you could tell Bona's going to be a player. You can tell. He very much has that Oregon-type feel to him. But but Ballo is just so much bigger, and as the game goes on, guys get worn down a little bit. They get tired, especially the one, Rudy, especially the ones right there that, um, you know, are new to the game. I thought that was an interesting uh, attrition by Ballo right there. And I also thought it was an interesting move by uh, Tommy Lloyd right there, Ben, to basically say, yeah, we're not going to guard the five man unless he comes into the basket. Yeah. I mean, it was a, gr- it was a brilliant game plan. I mean, it was, it was obvious from the get go Bona had, I think two fouls in the first three or four minutes of the game. And at that point, um, you knew that there was going to be a discrepancy there. So, but I mean, that's Arizona's exact game plan. And I think that goes back to a little bit when we talk about, you know, does this team only get up for big games? I think there's an aspect of it and you didn't necessarily see it tonight, but I think there's just also, we got to remember Tommy Lloyd and Sean Miller are two very different coaches. I think there's a philosophy difference in the sense that really Tommy Lloyd knows. Yeah. Yeah. No, no joke. Right. Tommy Tommy Lloyd knows that, you know, when you have guys like Tubelis and Balo who can just stuff the paint and just be one of the best front courts in all of college basketball. And as you kind of progress through that Pac-12 season where you're you're playing the Wazus of the world, you're playing the Oregon States of the world. I think you have a little bit of a different agenda in the sense that you've got some unknowns, a lot of unknowns on the guard side. You've got to be shifting guys in and out of the lineup. So if there's a stretch, you know, two, three minutes in the second half against Oregon State where we want to tweak a lineup, we want to throw Larson in there, we want to get Boswell, the young kid, in there a little bit to see how he looks. I just think there's a little bit of a different expectation level. And when you mix that in with a young team, sometimes you're playing with fire, obviously, and we've seen that. But I think, you know, you go through those growing pains and you go through those moments because when you play a team like UCLA, you're obviously able to put it all together. And you saw that tonight. So. Um, with Arizona now going or moving forward, though, I think we know some things about certain players. And I want to talk a lot about Pella Larson right here. Um, Pella does overall, I'm wrong. I was wrong on Pella. So that needs to be that needs to be said. Um, I thought last year, I'm like, man, this guy, my bad Pella has become a hashtag movement on Twitter, not like the back the A movement, but a hashtag movement. Um what, here's what we know about Pella. He's a pretty good defender out there, and his strength, his versatility allows him to be able to guard some different positions. If he's just taking one or two dribbles to the basket, he can generally do a pretty good job of setting up other players, um, you know, finishing around the basket. But what we also know at this point, too, is, man, UCLA, and I had a couple people messaging me this, UCLA was trapping, hoping at the end of the game that Pella Larson was going to get the ball. There was a reason that Pella Larson was wide open there whenever UCLA was trapping. And that's something that Arizona's got to figure out there, especially if he's going to play, um, you know, if he's going to be playing crunch time minutes, which I think he is, Shu. Well, let's break down the last minute and a half because it's going to be important. Remember, Arizona had an 11-point lead, and this, this thing looked like it was all but sealed. And then UCLA, as impressive as they are, they are a tough, gritty team with two or three guys on the roster who just win. You don't necessarily understand how, but they just get it done. And they almost got it done today in a game that in the last, you know, eight minutes or so really had no business being in. But in that last second, you can you can rightfully pick on Larson, who threw the lazy pass to Creesa that got stolen and turned into a bucket. But Creesa made a bad pass as well. Mm-hmm. Ramey caused a turnover. 
and Boswell uh, created a five-second turnover. Right. So the entirety, entirety for sure. of no Arizona's backcourt. So it's easy to pick on Larson here, but Larson's one of four. And, and one of four of a larger problem that Arizona has to fix. And in these situations, I think the play that became controversial on the goaltend is probably how Arizona needs to approach his stuff when teams trap them. The safety valve here is Tabellus. Tabellus is the most physical guy, I think, in terms of handling the ball on Arizona's roster. Yes, and at 6'11", he can handle the ball reasonably well. He can also be a safety valve in the middle of the floor that then allows other people to try. He, he can kind of gauge traffic a little bit until things mellow out to some degree. Then you can get back to Creasa, you can get it to Larson, you can try to set Ramey, you can try to set something else in that regard. Arizona failed to go to Tabellus in those minutes. Now, I also understand that the issue with that is Tabellus isn't the best free throw shooter, but that's... but. If I'm running against, if I'm running a press offense against another team that's uh, really trying to get active in that regard, and Arizona's going to see this eventually, uh, and certainly see it at some point in the tournament, uh, then then Tabellus is the guy who I want to get the ball to, and then I work through him to try to figure it out. And additionally, I want to go to the basket too. I'm attacking the damn basket. I'm not. I'm. I'm not messing around with. We're trying to milk clock. If teams are pressing you, you can't. You don't have the ball handlers at this stage to be physical enough and comfortable enough, whether they're not tall enough, whether the passes are lazy, whether they're not physical enough, whatever that dynamic is, either Arizona's got to figure that out from a practice standpoint, or they need to approach things differently. And to me, approaching things differently is going to the rack. And in that situation, it was, you know, just that, that possession near the end where they reversed the goaltend was such a mess uh, because Tabellus had an opportunity, lost the ball. Then Larson gets it back. And, and, and there was a lot of time looking as to whether the call was goaltending or not. The referees got the goaltending call, right? The part they got wrong was that Larson got mauled and should have been at the line taking two free throws. Uh, But that was, you know, that, that was something they didn't get navigated and, you know, and, and then Arizona was ultimately uh, good enough to be able to weather the storm, but they had what five consecutive possessions that got UCLA back in the game. And again, it wasn't just Larson who threw a lazy pass. It was Creasa who got turned over. It was Ray who got turned over and it was Boswell who got turned over. So that's something that they have to navigate. It's up and down the line and it's a problem. All right, I think Saul basically is echoing your point right here. And Saul Bookman comes with credibility right here, everyone. I'm going to say this again. The leading free throw shooter in the history of AIA basketball, my boss, Mr. Saul Bookman. He doesn't like me telling it, but what that means is I'm going to keep telling it. So, again, Saul knows what he's talking about right here. But, you know, he says you have to be aggressive versus press breakers. You can't break a breast and hold the ball. You're asking for disaster. That's exactly what's going on there, Ben, in that, okay, let's get the ball across half court and then just hold it there because you know what the defense wants you to do they want you to hold it right there they want to be able to come over and double team you because there's a good chance you're going to panic there's a good chance that something is going to happen and they got to figure that one out so like schuster and saul are saying you've got it by the way that sounds like that's a great name schuster and saul we're detectives yeah detectives yes i don't know which one's playing bad cop i have a pretty good idea Right. But I'm but Ben, that's you're asking for disaster by putting your by saying, I need you to be aggressive and then hold the ball. That's what the defense wants you to do. Yeah, I mean it's that simple. And with Arizona, you you've seen it 
today. You've seen it with more physical teams. You saw it last year in the tournament at times with Houston, obviously a, a much different situation. But yeah, Arizona was playing not to lose. And when you play not to lose in crunch time, three to four minutes left in this type of situation, that's just what's going to happen. So um, I'd imagine this week in practice, that's probably going to be something that they pre- uh, uh, drill a lot on when it comes to pressing and, and breaking in those situations. But yeah, it's it's inexcusable. Arizona was playing with fire at that time. And, you know, again, it's it's the makeup of the team, possibly, but it also comes with just a lot of inexperience and youth. And if I may, I think there are a couple other things going on here, uh, one of which is that uh, when you have guards handling the ball in the back court and just past the half court line, what you're trying to do or what you're anticipating is that the other team is going to foul you and put you to the foul line. And so the people who you want to handling the balls are the better foul shooters. So that's why Kreese has got the ball and Larson's got the ball, et cetera. And maybe Tabellus doesn't. It has, I think, a lot to do with the strategy of trying to figure out they're not going to go for the steal necessarily. They're going, the thought process is they're going to try to foul you and get you to the line and hope that, you know, you can play the foul shot game. Clearly that didn't work the day UCLA strategy was better and put, and put Arizona on the defensive. The second aspect here is that Tommy Lloyd plays math uh, within the last five minutes of a game. And this is why you'll, also, see also. You'll, you'll see Arizona try to take a little bit more time off the clock and then run something with about 10 seconds left in its offensive possession. And what Lloyd is doing uh, is he's, he, he's basically running math formulas. We're up 11. If we can milk 20 seconds on this possession, 20 to 25 seconds on this possession with five minutes to go, uh, whether we get a, and you know whether we get a basket or not, they're going to have to come down the other way. It's going to be 15 seconds left. We're going to get the ball again with 4:15, leading by nine, and then we're going to get the ball again, leading by seven. With so you're basically plotting it out then, and so, what's going to happen, and, right? And this is what Lloyd does, uh, and and it may be something that uh, he has to navigate a little bit uh, more. Uh, because had he been, had Arizona been a little bit more aggressive, I think in the last minute and a half, I think there were opportunities there to try to, you know, get a couple extra buckets that may have, may, may have made this a little bit more comfortable. All that said, again, you know, Ben's absolutely right, and so are you and Saul in regards to Arizona's lackadaisical approach in the backcourt to expect the team to do something when the reality was something else entirely and it got Arizona kind of out of rhythm and made this game a heck of a lot more interesting down the stretch than it needed to be. Saul is always welcome on the postgame show, being that he is my boss, Patrick. So Saul knows he's got an open invite right there. Um, real quick, and then I want to talk a little bit about the officiating because I thought it was <laughs> – I thought it was very Pac-12-ish. Have I told you guys about the DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX? Hmm. I hope you will now. Ben, have you heard about this? You're in California, but have you heard about it? I got nothing. You better tell us. All right. Here's the deal. You can put down $5 on an NBA game, and you can – just five. And you can get up to $200 in free plays if you're a new customer. Think about that for a second. How cool is that? Now, you might say to yourself – Who should I bet on? Well, don't listen to what we have to say because whoever Schuster and I tell you to bet on generally doesn't work. So go and find a favorite, bet on that heavy favorite, and then get that $200 in free plays. Check out the show notes and the link in the description. Again, 21 and up, Arizona only, gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP, and tap and bottle. The place to be for all the official away game watch parties is, or the unofficial, is... 
tap and bottle. Anthony Humbert goes there. KB Thiel goes there. John Schuster's presence has been requested for an autograph, so that means he'll be there. Ben but White, only one autograph. Multiple autographs. <laughs> ben White has been there as well. Scott and Rebecca do a great job. We'd love to come see you. Got another one coming up in a couple weeks. So again, um, we'd love to love to see you up there. And Four Peaks, Four Peaks is being served there as well. All right, the officiating to me was very Pac-12 ish in that. Um, you let a lot of plays go, and then every time Cedric Henderson is around somebody, you basically call a foul. It, it Schuster, I mean, we've watched this a lot. There was just, and again, there, there was just no consistency, I felt, basically in the game. I, I think you like the officiating. Uh, no, I didn't like the officiating. I, I, I think. Oh, I see what fan, you're. I see what you're going with. There's going to be some hedging here. If you're a fan of uh, both teams, I think you can have plenty of calls that were frustrating. Uh, but this was, generally speaking, you know, it's one of those matchups where the ticky-tack stuff gets frustrating. The offensive rebound situation with Henderson, where Hawk has got on the inside, was uh, not a good call. But. There were a lot of non-calls in this matchup. This was as physical a game as I've seen Arizona play in some time. Yeah. Uh, and the, 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 the way that the officials decided to call this game was beneficial to UCLA, uh, at least theoretically. But in some ways, it played to Arizona's ability to, at least on the inside, to have an advantage uh, because they've got the height uh, thing working in their favor. You know, one so, thing that I did notice about, I noticed this about Ballo today, and I, I don't want to give any inside secrets, but you know, Ballo is interesting because when he, when he braces under the basket, first of all, he's very good at it. He travels almost every single time he does it. There's always a, a pickup of the foot. There's always a drag. There's it's generally never a clean play, but I think it's a little bit like the, uh, the Richard Sherman thing with Seattle back in the day where, well, you know, what are you going to do? Just call it every single time down the court? Like, the you know, Seattle would say with their Legion of Doom or whatever. It's interesting, though, because there's a lot of travels that aren't called. But he also gets he also gets fouled a lot and plays that aren't called as well. It's a little bit of that Shaquille O'Neal thing where, I mean, every time down the court, you're kind of fouled. But officials just aren't going to call that one there, Ben. Am I an idiot or um, – or do you want to be like John Schuster and jump in right there and say, yes, Mike, you are an idiot. You are an idiot, but you're actually right on this. How about yeah, that? Take it. <laughs> no, I, I think um, I think with Arizona, you know, you look at the matchup and I just think from the get go, you knew it was going to be kind of that nasty game in the front court. And I, to me, the only questionable calls, you know, just to reiterate what you said, were just some of those on Ramey. I mean, on the offensive rebound, he didn't even touch, um, he didn't even touch Hawkes. So that right. was kind of a phantom call and just a couple of other ones down the stretch. But with all of that said, though, I think one of the key things and key areas that really helped Arizona in this game when it came to the officiating was they were able to get to the free throw line 20 times, you know, and unlike UCLA, they were able to make the majority of their free throws. It really helped them get Ballo and I think somebody like Tubelas a little bit more comfortable in the second half in the sense that. You know, Tubelis was able to play his game. They were able to screen him off the high-low, and things just lock, looked a little bit more fluid at that point. So I think from an officiating standpoint, yeah, you had some weird calls here and there, but uh, I'm not going to nitpick too much at it. I thought it was just one of those games where it, it was going to be played, obviously, in the half court, and it was just going to be very physical. But so. it felt like, didn't it feel like a 90s Big East game? It did. It really did. It felt like it was UConn Georgetown or something like that, where you've got three, you know, seven foot big guys. And basically it's going to be a battle of attrition. It did feel like that, but then they would come in with the odd ticky tack calls and the odd ticky tack calls 
weren't just like a one or a two minute type thing. They were kind of sprinkled in throughout the game, which kind of eliminated some of the flow. Um, real quick, though, I will say this. I've actually had somebody tell this. Rudy Bustillos, a lot of people think that he is an ASU troll in here to make fun, brought in to make fun of me. Well, he is brought in to make fun of me, but he is a U of A fan. He's a good buddy of mine. So again, <laughs> no need to message me about who this Rudy guy is because I get that from time to time. Um, good dude. But, uh, when it, you know, I, I did feel like that, though, Shu, that this was essentially a game where, you know what, you're going to let them play. That's cool. But what Arizona did do, and we got to get to this, Jaime Hawkins, in my opinion, is one of the two best players in the conference. Um, I think Azulis Tabellis is that conference player of the year. Hawkins, though, to me, is right. You know, he's right after that. Arizona did a very good job. Um Arizona did a very good job of basically t- making him take his fadeaways. There could be some fadeaway, you know, and again, that's part of his game right there. But at the same time, he also, you know, he didn't make him. And, you know, if UCLA was going to win this game, they needed a big performance out of him and they didn't get it. This is probably the point of the game is that Larson's defense on Hawkins may have been the difference maker. Yeah. Uh, and he and And that was that was what helped, I think, to spearhead Arizona's defense overall. Uh, Henderson played well against Hawkins as well. Frankly, up and down the roster today, if you got one team that scored 58 and another team that scored 52, you ought to be talking a lot about good defense. Uh, and 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 we had plenty of it today. Uh, there are you've got shooting percentages that are what in the, in the low 30s for both teams. Yeah. But uh, what Larson and to a lesser degree Henderson were able to do to negate the effectiveness of Hawkins, who I agree with you. Uh, I think he's one of the two better players in this conference, and I wouldn't trade him for anybody in this in this league. Right. Uh, his, his toughness factor is outstanding to have. The guy just wins. He and Tiger Campbell on the same roster, it's not hard to see why UCLA wins a bunch of basketball games. And they're going to be a pain in the backside in the tournament because there aren't a lot of teams like Arizona who have two bigs. Right. Uh, which is, I think, UCLA's that and that and the ability to score consistently are UCLA's weaknesses. But the Bruins play vicious defense, and they and and the way that they hedge on the uh, on the screen at the top, uh, uh, on the pick at the top, just makes things really difficult. Their their ability to play D, their fundamentals on that end of the floor, very impressive. You know what? I also got to give. I also got to say that hard today. Arizona, this this game scared me a little bit, the start of the game, because um, they obviously thought they were going to you know, put a Julius Tabellis on Jalen Clark. And it felt like Jalen Clark was going to be able to kind of get what he wanted in that game. Now, again, he finished with a double, I, you know, he finished with a lot of rebounds. We're going to talk about the rebounding here in a little bit. But, you know, he scores their first six of their eight points or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. This might be a tough matchup for Tabellis. But he didn't really do much after that. So, you know, again, maybe that's why I'm here, Ben, and or and Tommy Lloyd is doing what he does. Maybe. Just maybe. Um, but, no, I think I think with UCLA, um, Hawkes was going to be a guy. I mean, did he have a great game? No. But he also still had, you know, 12 points. I mean, from – from the sense that, you know, you look across the board, I mean, UCLA had a pretty balanced effort, but like Schuster said, it just came down to the defense in the end. Um, Hawkes was a guy, I think, in the first half who was able to get a couple of good looks. I mean, he was making every shot from the elbow there for a little bit, but slowing him down in the second half, whether it was Larson, who I think made the biggest difference, but even guys like Boswell and, you know, uh, Henderson as well, different guys that they threw at him. The key, I think, is, you know, UCLA just wasn't able to, to get inside. And, you know, 
I think as important as Hawkins is to this team, they're also a team that likes to play from the inside out in the sense that they've got to have an, a presence in the paint to to be able to get some points to get them over the hump when they slow teams down and and play press defense and, and wear teams out and all that good stuff. And I, I think tonight they just weren't able to do that. And and while Hawkins was effective in the first half, he really wasn't all that effective in the second half. You know, Ramey, you know, Lawson, Larson, excuse me. And, uh, you know, Arizona's guards just it's okay, Glenn. Had, I mean, Ben, Ben, yeah, right. Yeah. Had the advantage in the uh, the second half. So, um, again, I just think it comes down to kind of a case by case basis. And as good as Hawkins is and as, as many problems as he creates when you have when you have no inside game and when you have Bana, you know, not available for most of this game due to foul trouble, it it really makes an impact on the way they play. And you saw that the, today. The rebounding does the rebounding did was a little bit of a cause for concern for me, though. You come out of a game against a team that you're also bigger than and you give up 16 or 17 offensive rebounds. It did come back to bite Arizona today, but that's certainly something you got to clean up because that's an alarming number right there, Shoe. This is the reason that Arizona is going to lose at Poly if you get a number like that in right. in, in the rematch. That's because UCLA is not going to shoot this poorly from the field at home. Uh, and and if you give up off, that's a that's a rarity for Arizona. It's one of the it's Arizona was tough defensively, but there were two areas I think that UCLA's physicality was able to exert itself, um, and that was certainly in the last minute and a half where the defense immensely stepped it up and uh, on the glass, especially on the offensive glass. What'd you say, Mike? It was 16 offensive rebounds. Yeah, that, yeah. We haven't seen that a whole heck of a lot against a, a big Arizona front right. line this year. Usually right. Arizona rebounds pretty well. Uh, so some of the um, more bouncy teams that are out there uh, who focus on rebounding, that's something that Arizona obviously has to clean up and do a much better job of. That would be the number that if you look back, if this game went the other way, if UCLA shot it slightly better. Yeah. Uh, and again, yeah. Arizona didn't shoot the ball offensively. UCLA did a couple things, to, uh, two or three things that I think it wanted to do. UCLA controlled the tempo. UCLA dominated the glass. And UCLA got good defensive presence in the last minute and a half of the game. The one thing UCLA wasn't able to do, to Arizona's credit, is make buckets. Uh, but if you look at some of those other numbers, uh, those are the types of things that Arizona has to shore up because as good as your defense may be, you're not going to allow 30% shooting all the time. Right. Now, let me, let's just say that you're Ben White and you're living in a nice, you know, nice quaint place in uh, California, upper class. And you're saying to yourself, man, I'd like to get to McHale, but I don't know how. And you know what? I don't know what the phone number is. I have the answer for Ben White right here. Here's the deal. Go to game time. And Game Time is the number one sports ticket uh, or sports concert ticket app. You name it, they've got it. And many times it's 60% off. Again, you might say, Mike, did you just say 60%? I did just say 60%. So again, check it out, the show notes and the link in the description. The best way to support us is by buying your tickets through the link in the description and Mountain Mike's. Ben came in here the other day and said, Mike, Mountain Mike's is in California. I did not know that. That's why we have smarter people than me on the show. John Schuster came in, has come in here before with a Mountain Mike's cup. Not just the cup. He actually consumed product there. And William Brad Alice has done this as well. Oracle and Wetmore, check it out. Great place to watch games. Food, drink, you name it. They got it. Check it out. Mountain Mike's Pizza. All right. Jay Billis said something that has been essentially – 
I never understand why this is said, and this happens all the time. He says he's talking about Arizona and UCLA. And let's be honest. These are two of the 10 best teams in the country. We've watched a lot of college basketball. Wherever that you want to put them, cool. But they're hey, two Mike, of the Mike, do you believe that? Do you believe, I do that? believe because, that? Because a week ago, I think you said on one of these broadcasts that you didn't think Arizona was one of the teams that could win the national title. Well, has I that has I, that changed now based on what you've seen at McHale this week where you put Arizona into that upper yeah. tier that has I, an opportunity? I think, I think Arizona's in – honestly, I think Arizona's in that second tier. I think they're somewhere between about 8 and 15, uh, depending on the game. That Somewhere somewhere in there. Um, but my my question, I guess, is – and that's a good call right there, Shoot. My question, though, is Shane Billis says – well, Arizona and UCLA are two teams that are going to be battling for a number one seed, but obviously you can't give them both number one seeds. This is the only conference that that is ever brought up about. He would never say that about the ACC. He would never say that about the Big Ten or the Big 12. And it just it, it struck me as odd because the thing with Arizona's resume right now is you're this is a close to a number one seed resume and that you have it. That Tennessee win is a really good win. This UCLA win is a really good win. San Diego State's going to be a four or a five seed. They're already ranked. They won't lose again the rest of the season. Indiana, uh, you know, you name it. UCLA's obviously got a really good resume. Why is that a non-starter that, well, you just can't have two teams from the Pac-12? I hate that line of thinking, Ben. Yeah, I I, I have a couple of theories. Um, I, I think the first one is is the obvious one. It's the It's the bias, and I think it's, you know, when you look at the great conferences out east and, you know, in the Midwest, it's just also a numbers game, too. And I think for whatever reason, there's always been this notion, at least, you know, as I've been watching, obviously, Schuster can offer a little bit more historical context. I mean, but the it's always era. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I just think there's always been this notion that, you know, it's always, you know, Gonzaga and, you know, one Pac-12 team out west. And for whatever reason, we're just not open to having that discussion. We're just not open to having that conversation. And, you know, to be fair, most years that, that kind of is how it shakes out. So a um, couple of different thoughts there. I mean, it's just it, it's really how you look at it, Chew. I mean, from a historical perspective, what do you think? Uh, here's what I hope to read on some of the comments down there. And Dirty Dancer, I think a lot of what you say is accurate and plays into this. However, I would also hope to read, who knows if this is going to happen or not, Mike, comma, you make an excellent point, either period or exclamation point in that regard. One of the not things a question that, mark? Uh, no, I think it's a statement. And okay. I think it's a hard line statement of accuracy, no less. Yeah, you're, you're, if... If you just do this from a resume, whatever that means, standpoint, UCLA and Arizona are both and should be both in conversation for number one seats. Kansas this week, who up until this week was in the conversation for a number one seat and probably still is, has lost now twice uh, to two very good teams, but they've lost now twice. UCLA lost its first game, what, since November right. against a, a, a against an Arizona team that uh, is ranked on the fringe of the top 10 right. uh, losing at McHale is not going, it shouldn't hurt your resume. Uh, Arizona, as you guys have noted, has beaten some very good teams and has a positive resume that can stack up favorably with anybody. Uh, I, I, I think you can make a favorable argument legitimately that this year, Arizona and UCLA are both in that conversation and theoretically co could both be number one seats. Obviously a lot of basketball still to be played.
a lot of ups and downs to take place and a lot of navigating uh, to happen. But I think they're certainly both deserving to be in that conversation. If you get two conference teams there, I think in the regular season, both of them have deserved it based on their respective resumes. Now, one of the things Ben noted, and I think Ben references this probably from the classic ESPN East Coast bias, um, but the comment that Dirty Dancer made, I think, has a lot of validity. This is a conference that doesn't have an effective recent history in terms of uh, making great tournament runs. You well, see, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Schuster, and, and, I, to I totally agree with that. But I think that's part of the process when you're looking at this from a bias standpoint. You think of the pack whatever it is, the pack X now as, as, as being a con as being a conference, that's a step back. So it takes you a little while to get up to speed, but that said, I understand why it's said, but I do believe that what you say is correct. That but UCLA here's my and Arizona both belong in that conversation. Here's my, here's my issue though, with it. Uh, it's totally cool to go off a uh, history context. Totally get it. Understand that the big 10 gets 12 teams in each year and they all get bounced in the first round. And every single year we hear the same thing. Well, you got to put 10 big 10 teams in there. It's the best conference in college basketball. No, it's not. The big 12 is easily the best conference. Shout out to the big 12 guy on there, but that's what I don't get. There's this very convenient. Well, you know, the pack doesn't make a lot of deep runs. Okay. But we're going to keep doing this with the big 10. That is the only thing that annoys me right there. Phil. As it should. As it should, the you know, his, if you're playing the history game, you ought to be consistent with it. And if the Big Ten has sucked largely in the NCAA tournament, uh, then you know why are you giving them the benefit of the doubt and pretending that this year they're going to be great? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a very fair argument, and it's difficult to view in the window of this year based on the eye test and based on the computers and based on the other information that's out there. But that's what you ought to do. Right. I'm generally wrong on most stuff, but I did predict this sweep, this uh, this uh, coming up. I heard you do it. You know what else you predicted? And and, and kuda, man, you had a good day. I think you predicted straight on that Arizona was going to be a point and a half favorite in this matchup. You had a you had a good week. While many said six and a half, some said 13 and a half. I stood resolute and I said one and a half right there. So, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, on a, on a serious note, though, did this weekend show you anything? Did it, you know, obviously it did, but did, what did this week, what did this, uh, this homestand show you there, Ben White? And then John Schuster, take that one next. Yeah, I think what it really showed me is, you know, regardless of the deficiencies, the pros and cons that we've talked about from Arizona this week in both games, I think when you look at today, if Arizona plays the way that they did in that 18-minute stretch in the second half, I legitimately think right place, right time, they can beat anybody in the country. I agree right. with you in the sense that they're probably in that 6-10 to 10 range right now just based off what we've seen. But again, it's, it's how you play in the moment. If you can dominate with those two bigs inside and, and dictate a team and basically beat UCLA at their own game in the half court, slow things down, score in the 50s, which Arizona, as we know, does not do at all. That's not their style. But if you can predicate and beat game, beat teams, excuse me, at their own game, which what we saw today, it's got to make you feel good. And again, it, it goes back to the fact that this team just finds different ways to win. And we're at a point in the year where 
I think we're seeing it a lot earlier than we like would have liked to have seen it last year. And it's, it's just got to make you feel great. So yeah, the rebounding could have been better today. You know, yeah, we got to clean things up in the last three or four minutes. You know, we can't play scared. We can't, you know, tighten that game the way we did, but you know, that comes with experience and that comes with, you know, in the moments um, in these games. So I think to me, I'm not saying Arizona is winning the national title or anything like that. But you're not, not not saying it. But I'm not saying it either. So that's kind of how I feel at this point. Mike, John who Tracy. do you think's in the top tier? Um, right now, I think that I think Alabama is a very, very good team. They've caught my eye pretty much. They caught my eye pretty much immediately. I like them. I like their length. I like their scoring pretty much down. They got a freshman who's really good. Um, honestly. You know who I think is pretty much a top five team, and this is why I don't want to minimize this one. I think UCLA is one of the five best teams in the country. Um, I think that they are they're right there. Um, I don't love Kansas. The reason I didn't love Kansas, though, is because, first of all, they don't have much of a bench, and they're not very tall. They're not super dynamic. That worries me a little bit. Um, but what, like I said, I don't know why I keep coming back to Alabama and UCLA's two teams that really, really impressed me. I love Texas. I thought Texas was the best team in the country, but obviously they don't have a coach now, which could be an issue. Um, that's certainly not something that you want. Houston to me though, is still the one. If I just had to bet one team, I'm probably betting Houston. But what's weird about Houston though, is that they go through large pockets where they don't score. You know, you watch them and they can have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of games where they're in the 60s because they're going six, seven minutes without getting a field goal. But they're so athletic. Their their guard pressure is fantastic. Generally, I think that kind of stuff wins in the tournament. Those are the teams, though, that really Alabama, Houston, um, Tennessee is another team. I know William Brad Alice disagrees with me on Tennessee. It would not surprise me in the least if Tennessee was in Final Four. I think they're they're that good. And I, so you you guys got some pretty good wins right there. Yeah, it does. Uh, and but one of the things that uh, I think, and, and I don't disagree with that list at all. Uh, you can and certainly, and certainly, there's probably another team or two here that you can talk about and put on. But blah 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 blah. Generally speaking, yeah, I think that's a that's a very fair list. Two of those three, I, I think, are interesting. One we saw today in UCLA. The other in the Houston example. Yeah, where they can go through pockets of inconsistency on the offensive end. Right. And this is one of the things that potentially benefits Arizona, despite scoring 58 today is that Arizona has the potential uh, with Tabellus and Ballo to be able to go in inside fairly consistently and at least stem a run, meaning that they either get a bucket or get fouled and can maybe go to the foul line. That so So Arizona is a team that can often weather shooting four for 16 from three-point range and do some other things, especially if they're healthy on the inside, that gives them an opportunity. One of the things I like based on today's performance, and again, as far as the rematch is concerned, there, there, are, there are a couple numbers you can look at, especially the rebounding number that we've talked about that makes me feel like UCLA is going to win the rematch in Pauly. And like you, UCLA looks like a team that against height, they have they may have problems. But, but they're long and they're most they're against yeah, a lot of other teams. Their defense plays and they're going to be and, and, and they've got two guys who make big buckets. And that's that's a great recipe to make uh, a deep tournament run. But the benefit that Arizona has, again, is the ability to go inside with two guys, if they're healthy, who have the potential to score and either get to the line and maybe stem some rallies uh, here and there. And that uh, and 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 one of the things that's different this year, potentially than it was last year is that Arizona rolled through a bunch of teams and then got into the tournament and didn't really have 
matchups against the styles of teams that gave them problems. At least this year, Arizona's played a bunch of teams that on paper give them matchup issues, yeah. some, some of which they've lost to. So it's not like Arizona goes into the tournament unfamiliar with a style that might be difficult for them, which is a much better example. Additionally, again, and, and their two biggest games, uh, their two biggest examples of this took place at McHale. That's a huge difference. However, Arizona played Tennessee's style and beat Tennessee. Tennessee's right. legit. Arizona played UCLA's style and beat UCLA. UCLA's legit. Arizona can also play its own style and win. That's three different ways mm -hmm. that you can go into the tournament against different styles of matchups and be a problem. And that's not a bad place to be, despite the frustrations that we've seen for much of the last three weeks. All right, guys, before we sign off, what are your predictions tonight? We've got Shane Diefenbach behind there, wants our predictions. He doesn't want to step on. Uh, Arizona State, USC. I think Arizona State wins, but I want USC to win. How about that? What do we got? Yeah, that's certainly a prediction. Uh, I uh, this is this is this is a difficult one for me from an emotional standpoint. I think ASU is a better team, but ASU to me is a lot like Creighton. And what I mean by that is, at the beginning of the year, Creighton came into the season ranked very high and then believed that it was legit. Played against actual legit teams and couldn't get a win. And so as a result, it took them. They got demoralized, and it's take, taken them a while to try to get back on track. I feel like ASU is the same way. Uh, especially in this conference. ASU gets a lot of publicity, wins a lot of games, but then the reality is that in the Pac-X, it's UCLA and Arizona, pick your order of that. ASU had two shots at those teams at home and couldn't get Ws. So how demoralized are they going into the matchup against USC? I think that is the big test that Hurley uh, What's your is prediction? going to face tonight. Um, I'm <laughs> Gonna go with. I'm gonna head this and drag this out Come just on, a shoot. little bit more to annoy you. Uh, I'll go with ASU uh, because USC didn't look. The USC is somehow 13 and five and didn't look particularly good to me at all the other night. All right, what do you think there, Ben White? I'll make it a lot more simpler. I'm going. <laughs> a, I'm going ASU simply because they watched U of A beat UCLA today and they're going to be pissed. You know what actually is nice, though, and I'm going to actually give US, ASU one. It is nice having a travel partner that actually does a little bit to soften up the other team. I will give ASU that. That being said, uh, I mean, you, I, could, I, you, you could argue favorably that the amount of energy that UCLA expended yeah. in Tempe played a bit of a role in UCLA score, uh, shooting 30% today. I would suggest that you're right. On that note, Everybody out there, really appreciate you all. We hit 145 lives. Always awesome. You guys are the best out there. You're smarter than us. Well, you're, at least you're smarter than me. So that's why I appreciate you guys all making me out to be everybody out here to be awesome. Again, really appreciate you all. Shane Diefenbach, we're going to try to get Big Shane on here sometime. Doesn't sound like he wants to get on this game. But as always... Back the A and go USC tonight. You have been listening to the AZ Wildcats post-game show.